Okay. Um, Helen, on behalf of the town pastors and all the work that you've done with us in setting it up and seeing it going, not only as a member of the management group, but also as a town pastor working out on the streets yourself, I just want to say thank you to you, but thank you to the Lord for you. And I was so reminded um, of you. You know this wonderful story when Paul talks to his friend Philemon, whose runaway slave um, had had ended up with Paul and Onesimus, who'd given his life to the Lord. And Paul was then appealing to Philemon um, on behalf of Onesimus, really. But these wonderful words that he says to Philemon, I think, are so appropriate for you. And Paul says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. And that shines through so much in everything you do, everything you are, so much your faith in the Lord and your love for the saints, Helen. It's so wonderful. And I pray, Paul goes on to say, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. And then he says, and I know, I'm sure for this congregation, for the town, the people you've been involved in here, um, your love has given us great joy and encouragement because you have refreshed the hearts of the saints. And so when I thought about you going to Thetford, I thought that you'll take that with you. And, mm. and you know, however, however you go, I know you go in the strength of the Lord, but your love will, will refresh hearts there just as hearts have been refreshed mm. here. So I just want to, may I just pray. Father, we delight in you. We thank you so much, Lord, for your wonderful, wonderful love. We bless you for this great salvation that we enjoy every minute of every day. Bless you, dear Lord, for Helen. Lord, thank you for her heart and mind and will to serve you. And Lord, we know that you that she will bear much fruit as she goes in your strength, taking your love, dear Lord, to, to people who need to hear your message and respond. So, Lord, we bless you for her. Thank you that she has refreshed so many hearts, Lord, and we know that she will go on to accomplish great things in you and through you, dear Lord. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. There was a short meeting the other night, and we looked at some verses from your word, Lord. These three words kept coming to me, and I think it came to several of us. Come and see. Gracious Lord, we thank you that uh, you came to see us here at Alton Broad. We thank you, Lord, for your ministry, your multiple gifts, if you like, that you've given to God. And we pray that you will continue to use them for the greatness of your glory and majesty in Jesus. So Lord, we know that you're coming to see, you're going to come and see this place in Thetford and pray that you will uh, inspire those who are there by your ministry of your word. Lord, come and see in Jesus' name.
Amen. Helen, I, I have a, a prayer picture about what you said about the field. And, and I have this picture of this quite dried up soil with the plants struggling for water. They're alive though. Um, and cracks in the soil. But underneath there's water and there's growth there. And I just have this picture of the dew of the Holy Spirit coming down on that dried soil to nourish it and to feed it and to grow new disciples there. And I feel very sure that's why God sent you there. And we, we give you our blessing too as you go with our thanks. Amen. When we went to Honduras, it was somewhere that if Helen wasn't going, my uh, parents probably wouldn't have let me go. And um, and sort of, <laughs> and there's a reason for that because it's sort of Helen takes such a positive attitude and serving heart everywhere she goes. And in the same way that I wasn't allowed to Honduras without Helen, you're not going to be allowed to Cloverfield without God because He knows you're going to be there and um, you're going to take that same serving heart and positive attitude with you and do great things. Amen. Amen. I'm not given to colloquialisms, <laughs> but I feel God is saying tonight, Helen, you ain't seen nothing yet. Absolutely. As we've been talking of seeds and fields, I have a picture of a field of some sort of crop that is just staying still, but the clouds are opening above it, light is pouring in, and a gentle breeze is swaying now those, those ears of corn or whatever form of crop it is, and I just feel that you're being sent to that field, Helen, and you will bring it to life with our Lord's blessing. God bless you. Helen, when uh, we first heard you were going to Cloverfield, I said, oh, that's good, that's Trinitarian, because there's three leaves joined into one and I believe that but you are the stem you are the stem that's going to move this uh, this community forward towards God and I pray that that is the case Amen showed me a picture of you and it was like a big diamond that was going round on one of those stands, you know like you see in the jewellers and I believe the Lord says to you that you are like that diamond he's been honing you as the years have gone by and he said you are many faceted you have many gifts 
And God is so pleased with you. He says, you are a woman that he can trust. You are a woman that he can rely on. You are courageous for him. And he says, as that diamond goes round on that stand and shafts of light catch it and people see different colors, so you will be just like that in your church. People are going to see so many good things about you. And as farmers leave their fields barren and they plant clover, for that year and that clover puts nitrogen down into the soil that is how you're going to be for God you're going to really make a difference in that church and God is so going to bless you it's just as though you were an arrowhead being sharpened with a long handle and God's going to throw that like a javelin and you're going to make such a difference you're going to stick right into the very heart of that church so just Really bless. Really come and bless this lovely woman of God, Lord. Pray that you use her in so many ways, Lord. Father, I just pray now that she'll make such a difference to that church. Lord, set it on fire through through um, this lovely lady. Lord, she's like a lightning conductor for the Holy Spirit. She is. She's a lightning conductor to just strike that church with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you, Father. We give you praise for what you're going to do. Just really give her really good health. Bless her spiritually, financially, and in health. Thank you, Father. Helen, I see a couple of pictures, and the first one is of a um, a laden table, and the table is of fruit of every kind. And I believe that um, God just wants to remind you that you can take the fruit is actually the gifts, um, and you can take of that fruit of, of any, at any time. And I also see a, a backpack. Um, um, it's not a, a heavy, burdensome thing, but it's a backpack. Again, it's, it's talking about all the resources and everything that you need in those difficult times. Um, they're there, and you've got to open the backpack, and you can take those resources out. So everything is there, Helen, for you in those difficult times. And, and those gifts into there, but you've got to be the one that takes them out when you need them. Helen, I just feel that um, uh, the Lord is saying that you're going into unknown territory, but you're not to be afraid. And I really feel he spoke the words into my spirit as I was praying that no weapon formed against you will prosper. You have nothing to fear. So go forth in confidence and faith because he's looking after you. Nothing that's worth doing, Helen, is ever easy. There's going to be some dark times ahead. But God has shown me that in your time here, you have built such an infrastructure of loving people and prayer support that just like the mushrooms that are hidden beneath the surface, there are things going on underneath. God will say to you that in those times, don't be afraid to draw on those reserves because there is abundance of them. There are people here that will pray and pray and pray through for you. So take that on board.
and be blessed. Be blessed. We're going to miss you terribly. And be blessed. Amen. Okay. Amen. Did you get all that, Maggie? <laughs> okay. I think we'll let you sit down before you fall over that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, there's no pressure, Helen, as you... <laughs> okay. Now, can somebody who knows what to do do the toggle thing on the uh, computer? Because I forgot to put the two things together. Oh, right, that's right. Yes, what are we going to do with that? <laughs> yes. I... I couldn't use PowerPoint before Helen came. <laughs> okay. In a small town, a frightened man ran inside the local pub and shouted, Does anyone here own a big black dog with a white collar? No one answered. And he said, Oh my goodness, I must have run over the new vicar. <laughs> so, First top tip. <laughs> Never go out in your cassock. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not likely to happen, is it? <laughs> now, when we spoke about this service, because, of course, this morning Helen gave her, her final sermon, and, and I did say, would you want to preach in the evening? Uh, and she said, no, just do the normal thing. Um, so it is the, uh, it's not going to be full of top tips for new vicars. Um, but interestingly, of course, as we've looked at Nehemiah, it's all about building it. It's all about building the kingdom and uh, building the church. That's why I believe we have this book in the Bible. And so, of course, there are plenty of top tips in it, well, for all of us, but particularly as, as you go to a situation which is new. Uh, and so I hope this will be useful for you. Now, for those of you who are visiting tonight, um, we've, we're studying Nehemiah at the 6 o'clock, uh, and we are up to chapter 4. So if you want to grab a Bible and follow, then please do. But if, uh, I, I will be putting the key verses up on the screen so, so you don't have to. Right, so Nehemiah then. The story so far, uh, those of you who have been following this know it. Many of you who haven't will know this story well. Nehemiah uh, in exile, uh, cupbearer to the king, has received this message that the exiles that have returned are in trouble. They've, they've rebuilt the temple, but they haven't done anything about the walls. The enemies are gathering around the outside, and they are in danger of their lives, and he wants to do something about it. Uh, and that's basically it. And we've followed the story so far. As he has returned, as he has worked out what it is God wants him to do, as he has made a plan, and as he has started to put that plan into practice. And if you remember, I use these three words. These, these have stayed with me for years and years uh, as a way of doing anything in the Church of Christ. Uh, if you are trying to implement change, if you are trying to find out God's will, then what you first need is God's stuff. You need to have a theology. You need to have a depth of knowledge of what it is God wants you to do. People are afraid of the word theology. Don't be. It's just God reasons for doing stuff. And we must have that. We, 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 it's no good just jumping on the latest bandwagon or what they're doing in that parish over there. You've got to find out what God wants you to do on your patch, a theology. 
And once you've got the theology, then you need a, a way of implementing it. You need a model. And we've seen how Nehemiah has rode round the walls, keeping his plans to himself, working out how he is going to achieve this mighty work. And once you've got that, of course, well, then you have to put it into practice. And that's where we are very much. Uh, you have to actually say, right, uh, yeah, we know what God wants us to do. We've got an idea about it, but come on, now we've got to get going. And remember that little phrase I gave you, the biggest waste of time is waste of time getting started. You have to actually work, and that's where we are. And as we've been applying it to, to our work here, well, let me remind you, <clears throat> those of you who are our members, that's the vision that God's given us for here. And we spent a little bit of time, if you remember, uh, uh, some, well, four years ago, as we, we prayed over this and we spent the best part of a year, actually, really discerning what it is God wanted us to do in this parish in Alton Broad. Um, we want to be a growing, Christ-centered community, led by the Holy Spirit, worshiping God and making disciples. That is, if you like, our theology. And now everything that we are about, and the same goes for those of you in other churches, you will have your vision, you will know what it is God wants you to do in your place, and then you go about actually doing it. And we have left Nehemiah doing just that. So he's very much now into the practice. The wall is being built. When you are doing any work of God, Expect opposition. Uh, we've just heard words prayed over Helen. They, they shouldn't be frightening words. I think I've, I, I get tripped up over this occasionally and get all sorts of discouraged, you know, when bad things happen. And yet I remember my spiritual director saying to me years ago when something difficult was happening in the set of parishes I was serving, he said, well, well be, you know, be pleased, Ian. You must be doing something right. <laughs> Uh, and, and when we are doing the work of God, then we should expect opposition. Because the devil is quite happy as long as churches sleep. The devil is very happy as long as churches look inward and just argue about, I don't know, you know what type of songs they're going to sing or, 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 or what it is. As, as long as he can tie us up with inward-looking concerns, then he's quite happy happy, but the moment, the minute we, we, we look outside our borders and start to say, oh, that's what we're here for, that's what we're here for, extending the kingdom, then expect opposition. Expect opposition. And here it starts to take shape as we get to chapter four. Um, here it is. Sanballat is the man. Uh, we've come across him briefly once before. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry. <laughs> well, we had a cat last time. I thought we'd better keep going. You know. <laughs> he became angry. He became angry. And as we read on, he ridiculed the Jews... And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble? 
burned as they are. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what, are they, what, are, uh, what they are building, if even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. So not very encouraging then. Opposition. Opposition. Now the nature of opposition is this. We've already said, if you're doing God's will, you can expect it. There will be opposition. I don't, you know, sometimes Christians have this sort of martyred thing where they actually go looking for opposition. And so they do all sorts of stupid things and say stupid things to cause it. I think one of the great joys of, of the town pastor initiative in this town, now there will be opposition to it, but one of the great joys has been the blessing it's been on the community and how people actually love it. <laughs> and they, they, welcome, uh, they welcome us on to the streets and giving that level of help at times of need. So we shouldn't look for opposition, but it will come, and it comes by all sorts of routes. And it springs from fear. You see, Sanballat and Tobias, uh, uh, not Tobias, sorry, that's, uh, <laughs> that's one of our congregation. <laughs> Tobias, the Ammonite, uh, they had things pretty much sewn up in the area. And they were important. And what was happening now threatened to unbalance things. And, and you see, where the devil has got a, an area sewn up, and then someone comes along who is willing to serve God and to seek vision and to do what God wants and not just to keep people happy. And not just to keep people happy, top tip number two. Because <laughs> it never works. They never are happy. <laughs> so why as well not bother in the first place. When you're willing to actually do what God wants, then, then it unbalances things. And an area that the devil has felt that he's got pretty much sewn up becomes unstable for the kingdom. And he doesn't like it. And other people don't like it, particularly if they are doing well in that particular economy, as these two were. It springs from fear. And you will know that when people are afraid, when they're fearful, because if you're like me, you know, it, it happens for us, doesn't it? When you're, when you're afraid, when you're fearful, you get things out of perspective and you do all sorts of things. And so part of what's happening here, you know, we have to realize that when there is opposition from people, it might spring from fear. And that needs to inform our prayers rather than just saying, ah, oh, right, you spawn of the devil, <laughs> although that might be necessary. But, but, but we need to know where they're coming from. Because you see, what, what we have is radical and revolutionary. Now, that's not what the majority of the world thinks the church is for. They think it's sort of comfortable and cozy and cups of tea and cucumber sandwiches or, or whatever. But, but, but what we have is radical, isn't it? Isn't it designed to turn the world upside down? Isn't it designed to upset people's lives? And if we're going to be bearers of it, then of course we're going to get flack. Springs from fear. And nearly always it's negative. <laughs> it's negative. Opposition. 
actually from outside the church and inside the church. Again, words that were prayed over Helen about her being a positive person and and, and bringing life. The devil always brings criticism. The devil always brings the, ah, that will never work. And you've got it here, haven't you? It's all, you know, what are they doing? Will they restore their wall? Well, actually, yes. (laughs) But they're sowing doubt. Will they offer sacrifice? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to And so on. Negative, negative, negative. And we must be careful, always, as we build the church, not to listen to negative voices. And, and for my part, in, in my time of ministry, I have to say I've found that one of the hardest things to do. Because you can have a hundred people in a church telling you how good things are and how well it's going. And you can have one person who tells you that it's rubbish. And I can guarantee who you'll be thinking about when you wake up next morning. It, it, it just happens. You know, I remember, I still remember, I can't remember if I shared this with you, the email I got from somebody um, in the smallest church of my patch of churches which said, uh, well, and things weren't going well then. <laughs> they never did. <laughs> and he said, Ian, I've always found it best in life to have a plan. <laughs> in other words, <laughs> I don't think you have one. <laughs> Well, I did have a plan, but it didn't involve him, (laughs) I have to say, in love. (gasps) Forgive me, God. Always negative. Don't listen to the negative voices. If people have positive criticism, of course, it's no good in ministry, is it? And I'm talking about all of our ministry, just having people saying, oh, that's marvelous. You know, you do need to have proper debate and discussion and positive feedback and positive criticism where it's necessary. But just negative. You somehow have to banish it. And it seems to me Nehemiah did this quite well. And I wonder if it's contained, the answer is contained in his prayer, which we'll look at in a moment. But the other thing is, criticism can get personal and can get abusive. It was here. And we have to be ready for it. Because if we're ready for it, it won't do us so much damage. The nature of opposition, how does he deal with it? Well, I mean, it's obvious, isn't it? Yes, we say, take it to the Lord in prayer. It's so obvious that we forget to do it. (laughs) That we pray, and that's exactly what happens. If you go down to verse 4, immediately he is at prayer. Hear us. O our God. And there is his prayer. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. What do you notice about his prayer? Just anything that strikes you. Do you 
you know, positive. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty aggressive, isn't it? <laughs> now, this isn't, you know, we are to pray for our enemies, but this isn't, oh, dear Lord, <laughs> please send blessings on these people. Uh, please forgive them. Um, now, now there, <laughs> I'll be careful here because I think it was Jesus that said, pray for your enemies. So, so we really need to. But, I, but I'm just interested by this prayer because it seems to me that his being honest, <laughs> honest. And, and, and I think that in our prayer life, particularly when, when we're in opposition, we must be honest. And, and name the demons, if you like, and name the problems, and name the difficulties. Have you ever shouted at God? Yeah, well, I have. <laughs> I think he can take it. <laughs> I don't think he was cowering in a corner after my tirade. <laughs> you know, we, I, I think God honors honesty. And in our prayer life, we can be honest. And, and frankly, in this situation, it was dangerous. If these people were pr- to prevail, then people would die. And it is right to be honest in our prayers and to sometimes be positively aggressive even. Now, you may want to take me, take me to task on that after because it, it doesn't seem like the, you know, the... The, old, or, or the very pastoral thing that, we're, that, we, that we often do as church. There is time, or there are times when we need to take the bull by the horns and just say, this is not good enough. Please, Heavenly Father, do something about it. And if these people will not repent or stop, then can you do something to stop them? Or can you help us as we seek to? Being honest and being positive and in the Lord, I mean, aggressive is a wrong word, but, but do you know what I mean? <laughs> that, 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 that we have to be like that if we are going to make a difference in the kingdom sometimes. Okay, so then we get to this glorious uh, point of verse 6 where he says, so he rebuilt the wall until it reached half of its height. So a huge amount had been done. Why? Because people worked. <laughs> because the people worked with all their hearts. We are a busy church. Sometimes we seem to be too busy. Representatives from other churches here who are busy churches. I've become to... I don't know. This, this, again, this is difficult. But I've begun to, to get to the point where I think that actually... I suspect I'm always going to be slightly tired <laughs> this side of glory. Now, I think God expects us to live balanced lives, and at this point, there is an emergency, so people are, are working and working and working and working. But I'm afraid nothing will get done in the church of God unless people roll up their sleeves and actually do the stuff, <laughs> whatever the stuff is. And, you know, this continual thing that, that we have in, in church life, and we have it a bit here, where it's so difficult to, to, to actually get people to do some of the things. Well, it's got to stop. 
I, I, I was sharing this morning with someone. I think, think over my 15 or whatever it is years of ministry, one of the hardest things I find, apart from criticism coming from within, which I mentioned and we come back to in a moment, is actually the, 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 the constant exhaustion of asking people to do things. Because <laughs> the moment you ask personally someone to do things, you feel really bad because you think, now they think they've got to say yes. <laughs> and I shouldn't have had to put them in that position. Um, but nonetheless, that's the way it works. I understand that. But it does seem to me that churches that are going to grow and thrive and, and, and really make a difference in their community need more and more disciples. That's why part of our vision statement, in fact, the emphatic end of it, says, and making disciples. Because revival isn't going to come by sort of like wine tasters. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Pe people that come and sit in the pews and say, oh, I quite like the services here, or I quite like the sermons there, <laughs> so I'll come and sample that. <laughs> but I'm not going to do anything about it at all. <laughs> For the people worked with all their heart. That's what it needs if we are serious about preparing the ground for possible revival. Revival is a sovereign thing in God's hands. We can't, we can't will it. It will only happen if he decides. But I've said before, and I'll say it again, I think God's eyes are ever watching over the world, looking for the places where there are enough faithful people willing to make it happen in his name. God grant that this town will be one of those places. And Thetford, but it's got to be us first. Because <laughs> I know Helen's not competitive and she'll understand that. <laughs> Poor Helen, she's, she's had this competitive label all the time and she's been here. Uh, simply because of the first holiday club where she... Uh, she she and Tim had a thing with the points that their teams were. <laughs> and it sort of stuck with you, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. <laughs> and as a result of, of then, they're halfway there, so the opposition increases. Um, verse 7, when Sanballat, Tobiah, um, and the whole crowd of them, men of Ashdod, all the whole caboodle, heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being filled, they were very angry. They were only angry before. I couldn't find a very angry cat, so I haven't got a slide for that. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. But, listen again, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this new threat. Prayer and action. Prayer and action. It's not rocket science, is it? Prayer and action. This is how you deal with it. But, but the opposition did not just come from outside. And this, in a sense, is where it gets difficult when it impacts upon our own lives and ministries and our own churches. The opposition didn't just come from outside. There's this very interesting verse that comes up in verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. So the problem 
Nehemiah is told by, by people, and he's not necessarily told by the people that are doing the work, but someone is saying they're all getting too tired, so that's one of the problems. There's tiredness around, and people are saying that there's tiredness around, so the whole thing is getting depressed and discouraged. And there's too much rubble. I mean, that's, you can clearly, is a problem, isn't it? If, you, if, if there's so much stuff all over the place, um, then, then you can't see the wood for the trees and you can't carry on building. Too much rubble. So, what's that got to say to us? Well, I think it's got this to say to us. In building the kingdom, and remember, we believe that's why we have this book. It's about building the church. It's about building the kingdom of God. What's the clutter? What's the rubble? Or more disturbingly, who? Who is the rubble? Well, it seems to me that anything or anyone stopping God's work being done is rubble. You know, said in love, because, you know, people are people and all loved individually by God. But nonetheless, if they are deliberately stopping the work of God, then they are clutter, if you like. They are rubble. They, They are hindering the work of God. And therefore, something needs to be done. And and this is when it gets difficult in the life of the church. Because, well, I don't know, it seems to me clergy fall into two, or ministers fall into two categories. There are are those sort of like me who basically want an easy life and want to keep everybody happy. And then there are those who deliberately (laughs) like to seem to to, to upset people. And, and, and it's difficult to find a middle way sometimes. Because as I said earlier, you can't keep everybody happy. Because the more you try, the more people find something else that they want done their way. And you must, in ministry, and I say this particularly to those of you who are in leadership or on leadership teams, You must do God's will. That's why we have in our vision statement led by the Spirit. And and we take it seriously. I take it seriously. We must be led by the Spirit. And not by this urge just to sort of keep things on an even keel. Now, as I also said, it's stupid deliberately upsetting people. But the key thing is God's will. God's will. And, and, and we have to keep the vision clear so that then we can see what is the rubble and what does need shifting a little bit. Because the thing is with all this rubble that turned in the right direction, it becomes living stones and part of the wall. And the rubble becomes an opportunity. So I'm not just saying, right, well, anybody that's not, a, not in the task, you pick them up and chuck them over the wall. <laughs> because all this rubble would have been used But it's just seeing, getting the right perspective on people. But nonetheless, nonetheless, if people are stopping the work of God, then something must be done. And I have to say, and I haven't, (laughs) praise the Lord, had to do it here, 
but, but I, in my last parish, I prayed that certain people, if they were not going to come on board, then they would be removed. And they were. In fact, well, no, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I stopped praying it. <laughs> because, you see, God, God does mean business with his church. The church is the bride of Christ. He loves the church. And if people are spoiling it, then that grieves the Holy Spirit. So then it is a real problem. It is a real problem. Remember, that's our, that's our vision here. And so we try to measure everything by that that we do. Everything that we do, we measure by that. But there is a real problem here. And it cannot be ignored. Now, those of you that share with me this desire for an easy life may, uh, may identify with that. If you can't all read it, it says, the bloke is saying, your need to have a conversation about our problems is interfering with my need to pretend they don't exist. Because one of the ways of dealing with, with problems, with, with the rubble, if you like, is to say, well, we'll just pray about it and it will all go away. Well, we must pray about it, but we actually have to do things as well. This is what the passage shows us. Because if this is ignored for Nehemiah, two things at least are happening. The work is being slowed, and people are getting discouraged as a result. And also, the opposition has opportunity to get in, and that's actually what starts happening here. Okay, and they do that by spreading fear. Here it is, verse 11. Our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to their work. And then the Jews who lived near by them came over and told us ten times over. Ten times. And if you read the uh, commentaries, ten times means many, many times. It's a bit like the number seven is used in the Bible. Wherever you turn, they will attack us. So you, poor old Nehemiah, there he is, working on the wall. Um, and they come. Wherever, they t wherever we turn, they will attack us. Oh, thank you very much, I'll take that on board. And then, wherever they turn, they'll attack us. Yes, all right, I heard the first time. <laughs> uh, on and on and on. And that's the nature of fear and criticism from within. It sort of chips away at you. It chips away at you. And so Nehemiah is decisive. He, he takes action and he regains perspective. Here it is, verse 13. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. So some people are withdrawn from actually working on the wall now in order to defend it. And I'm not going to talk about spiritual warfare. We, we looked at that a couple of times ago, and a time, well, I'm, I'm just about run out of time. Okay, but, but it, in order for the work to progress quickly, it has to slow for a while, a little bit, because there needs to be this defense. So he does that, and then gives this fantastic word where he encourages people. After I looked things over, so this is Nehemiah all the time, getting the details sorted out, attention to detail. I said, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. You know, what a great thing to say. 
Remember the Lord. We had that in the prophecies over Helen. You know, remember who God is, great and mighty. And then do the work for your people. And in church life, remember the Lord. And fight for your brothers and sisters in Christ and for more people to come so that they too may have a relationship with God and be saved for all eternity. You know, that's what we're about. That's what we're about. But we have to keep restating that so that we keep perspective when things are going wrong or when things are getting a little bit difficult. And so as a result of all of this, the plot is diffused. And verse 15, it says, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. Because what had seemed, in the eyes of some people, a massive threat has actually been, de- been diffused by the power of prayer and a little bit of decis- decisiveness in the leadership, just like that. And it's amounted to nothing. It was all words. Don't give in to fear. There's only one place that fear comes from. It's the devil. But, as I finish, do they go back to normal? No, they don't. No, they don't. Look at verses 16 to 18. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Hence our picture of the heroic Nehemiah. And if I had time to dwell on it, and I haven't, but the idea of working with the sword of the Spirit in your hand (laughs) carries for us an enormous amount of wisdom and help. I think sometimes as we work for the Lord, we can get our heads down and just get on with it, can't we? Particularly those of us who are doers. Remembering to hold the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Remembering to keep, if you like, spiritually focused as we are doing the work of God helps us to achieve it without being submerged by the difficulties. Because when we just work and we, we lose focus on God, then we get submerged in the problems, and then eventually we end up feeling that, oh, I'm the only one that's working around here, and, and we get all depressed, and we get Elijah-like and say, oh, I, oh, Lord, I'm the only one left, etc., etc., because we've forgotten to look at the Lord. It's a simple enough lesson. But that picture for me of working carrying materials with one hand and the sword in the other is a great one. And look at Nehemiah. Each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked because they needed both of their hands, but they still had the sword with them. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Why? Well, because they didn't have mobile phones. (laughs) (laughs) And how lucky they were. (laughs) Communications, communications. Well, I'm going to come to a close now. Um, 
If you look at the last little passage, there are some interesting things in it, but I'm going to leave that. But I thought I'd end with my last top tip for Helen as she goes to Thetford. Verse 23. This is, while you're working. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. So until the work is done, you can't change. But what it says to me is that these people meant business. These people really meant business for their Lord. And, and it was difficult. <laughs> this was an emergency, and it took them 60-odd days. I can't remember. We get to that bit a bit later. But they took it seriously. Now, I've shoved that up a couple of times. Just how much do you want that for our churches? How much do you want it? You know, enough not to change your clothes for several months. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's what God's calling us to do. But what I mean is, how much do you want it? Let's stand and pray. So, Father, uh, we feel challenged by this man, Nehemiah, and the project he was given. And we feel challenged by the enormity of the task that you have given us as we seek to do the single most important thing in the world, that is to build the local church, because we know uh, that it's the local church that is the hope of the world. And we know that the message you have entrusted to us is the one thing that people need above every other thing. So we ask forgiveness for when we take our eye off the ball. And is it, if this is your prayer, then join in with it. You know, if you do actually mean business with God for the work of the kingdom, then, Lord, we want to say that here we are, standing with our, our swords and our hands ready to carry materials or our hands ready to do the work or whatever it is you call us to. And as we send Helen out to a new area, we, we know that she is in that position uh, for herself, that she is in that place of anointing where she wants to do what it is that you have for her in that place in, in Cloverfield. And so if that's you, that you're, you're willing to do that, you might just want to grasp that sword. And Lord, we recognize that as we do that, we open up a whole world of spiritual opposition uh, to, to, to what we are going to be about. But we've seen already how quickly the opposition just melts away as that we pray and as we keep the vision clear. And I pray for anybody here who's feeling discouraged in their work at the moment, in their particular part of the wall. If you're feeling discouraged, then grasp hold of that sword of the Spirit and feel God's blessing upon you now 
giving you new anointing, giving you new vigor, giving you a new ability to see clearly what it is God wants you to do. So come, Holy Spirit, do that amongst us now, I pray. And as we have done so often, we pray for those who are grasping that sword and are particularly needing gifting to do the the, the work that you are giving them, or some of you are wondering what actually is the work, the particular work to which you are called. And I pray that you would get that wisdom as people speak to you and as you speak to home group leaders or to, to leadership of the church, that you will know what it is you are called to do. And as we dwell on those things, I know that deeper have prayed before this service. Can we just hear uh, any words or pictures that they have from the Lord for us? Because in a moment, there's opportunity for prayer ministry. And remember, if one of these words or pictures chimes in your spirit, then you must receive prayer because God is calling you to, to receive prayer for some reason. Thank you. Um, we had a picture of a lovely stream meandering in very bright sky. There were people sitting under a waterfall. And we felt the waterfall symbolized the Holy Spirit. And the people in the waterfall were inviting others in. And then someone had a feeling that someone has a big decision to make soon. Then a picture of a fast-flowing river with stepping stones. The first person to cross falls in and is swept away by the river. The second person waits for the water to go down and the stones to dry and then crosses. Be patient. Wait on God. Words we had were, lay aside your cares and rest in me. And then another picture, a dark, cold place, very dark. Someone is alone. Then a picture of a glowing fire can be seen. And then we can see people sitting around the fire being warmed and inviting the person who is alone to join them. A picture of a forest covered in leaves, flowers, flowers growing out of the floor. They were sparkling white like stars and spreading out from a clump in the middle. And the words, God loves each one. And then a feeling, a very cold feeling in the right leg. Thank you. Thank you for those of you who pray before these services, listening to the Lord. Now, if we could have perhaps some worship music so that we surround all of this, as always, in worship. Uh, You may have been touched by one of those uh, pictures or words. Um, There will be prayer ministry at the back of the church. or just go and sit in one of the pews towards the back of the church. Um, if the prayer ministry team could head in that direction. And if you've been challenged by anything that, that, that God may have said to you as I've been preaching or as we were worshipping together, then please go for prayer. Use the opportunity now. This is time for God to do work with you. Um, so go for prayer ministry. If you need to sit quietly uh, in his presence, then do that and then go later. Uh, but don't take the opportunity, don't miss the opportunity. If, if God is speaking to you about a particular thing, then take the opportunity for your brothers and sisters just to pray with you about that. If